Hello, and welcome to this edition of People in Transition. I'm your host, Bob Durst. I've been hiring, firing, and mentoring executives, frontline employees, interns, and job seekers in companies around the world through a host of transitions, some difficult, but most very good. I work with people in Hong Kong, India, Australia, and across the United States. What sets them apart? A lot, but there's more they have in common. And one of those commonalities is transition is a part of life. This experience has given me a bird's eye view on a variety of trends, economies, industry disruptors, and transitions that are big and small. It also brought me into contact with the thought leaders and decision makers you need to meet. The people who can make the difference that matters to you right now. Imagine knowing exactly what to do next and how to know it's time to make your big change. The inside track you're going to access during our future episodes is better than a crystal ball. It's the exact information you need to take that next step. Whether you're a new grad applying for your first professional job, someone looking to transition your work experience into a promotion, launching your own company, or maybe even starting to plan your retirement, you're in transition, and this series is for you. We all know transition can be scary, but it doesn't have to be. And it's even fun when you have VIP access to the future you want. Are you tired of the uncertainty of being passed up? We'll share with you the tools and skills that can take your dreams to the front of the line. So if change is on your horizon, or maybe just the thought of change, you won't want to miss this discussion. It could be the exact edge you need to turn transition into an amazing opportunity. Mike Thompson, I am so excited to have you on today's episode of People in Transition. I've been looking forward to this conversation for some time. Not nearly as excited as I am to be here, Bob. Super fired up for the conversation today. Hey, Mike, when you were younger, what did you want to be when you grew up? If you could go back and meet, I'm going to say the eight or nine-year-old version of Mike, he was going to be a professional hockey player and a doctor. I really had ambitious goals that I was going to do both and live my life as a professional athlete and a medical doctor. And Mike, what were the transition moments that you've experienced to get you from that picture of yourself as a professional athlete slash doctor to where you're at today? Well, I would say on the doctor front, it was probably grade 10 science class that I realized that, you know what, I don't think med school is in the cards for me. The professional hockey dream ended after a collegiate career. So I actually played, um, I was a goalie and I played in university. And after the fourth year, that's where it ended for me. I just realized, you know what? You can try and you can put forth the best effort. And sometimes you're just not good enough. And that's okay. Mike, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about networking. I'm an introvert. Tell me how I can be effective as a networker and still have that style. Yeah, it's a great question. A lot of people I find think of networking as an extroverted activity that you have to be bubbly and very comfortable in a big group of people. The best image people have of networking is someone that works a room at a party as they're a master networker, where in actuality, we're all involved in networking activities. It's a matter of building a community and not a community of 
just people that think like you, but individuals that have the same values, but maybe think about things differently and build a tribe where individually you're all different, but collectively you're all looking at improving and challenging each other to grow, whether it's professionally or personally or through sport or whatever that is. It's, it really is a community. We're all involved in networking. And how do I build that community? I mean, give me kind of the one, two, three steps that I should do to help me achieve that. First step is you got to be yourself. I mean, if you try to be something you're not, what it's going to do is it's going to attract individuals that are attracted to the non-genuine or non-authentic version of yourself. So being yourself is critical. Being aware and doing some exploratory work on who you are and what you value as an individual. And the second is being comfortable with that version of yourself because you are, and if you are unique, nobody has your story and that's super, super powerful. So once you understand and do that evaluation of who you are, now there's different ways you can do it, whether it's through work, through community events, through social media, which is a popular one for building a network. But it's really just the first step is doing some work on who you are and then being comfortable and confident with that version to go out and start building a community. And you mentioned the social media aspect of it. Is networking in person or online the same or different somehow? It's a great question. And it's different in... The main reason is it's a lot easier to put yourself out there online than it is in person because of the fact that you can say something and you're not saying it to a person. So you're not getting the real time feedback or reaction for that. So you can be a little bit more vulnerable without the immediate reaction to that vulnerability. So a lot of people find it easier to network in social media. That being said, it's also easier to be fake or not be authentic on social media for the very same reasons. So I would say it's easier on social media than it is in person. It's also could be less authentic. So the platform is easier to get out there, but you still have to do that work in terms of who you are first before you decide how you want to tell your story. So Mike, let's say that we've networked and now we know of some opportunities that exist out there. So we have to have a good resume. If you could make two suggestions to help people make their resume better, what would those two suggestions be? Bob, that's a great question. I only get two. You're only going to give me two things. To, I know to, you could do 10, but I, let's <laughs> limit it. I would say the first one that I love is talk about the impact your work has had and who it impacted. Not what you did, but the impact it had. Rather than talking about a project that you were working on, what was the end result of that project and what impact did it have? Whether it was internal or external, that's really important that you understand why you're doing what you're doing and the impact it's having on people. So that would be number one. And the second piece would be to keep it simple. There's no need to try to fit as much stuff as you can on a resume. The resume is really the framework or the business presentation for the conversation that you're going to have. It's not a novel, it's a presentation, it's a framework, and you're going to fill in the gaps with the conversation you're going to be having. And Mike, how is your resume different than what you have on your LinkedIn site? Yeah, the LinkedIn version can be a little bit more comprehensive. What I like to think about as LinkedIn is think about creating a story for each one of 
the jobs you've had and, and you can talk about why you got the job, why you chose to work there, what accomplishments you had, what outcomes you had, who you were working with. You can fill in more of the details there where the resume is really more about the outcomes, the impact, the what you did, whereas your LinkedIn can be more about the why. So that's how I like to differentiate is resume is what, LinkedIn is a little bit more on the why. And should you put your LinkedIn URL site on your resume so that they work in tandem? Well, you don't have to, but I can tell you right now that 99% of people are going to look at you on LinkedIn anyway. So just save them a step and put it on there. And if I'm an older candidate, how far back do I have to go with my experience on my resume? Yeah, that's a great question that I get asked all the time. And it's different for anybody you ask. I'll tell you my opinion is really, it depends if you've been in the same job for 10 years, you may want to have a few different jobs. So I wouldn't necessarily think about it in terms of length of years. It'd be more jobs you've held. So if you've been in one company for a long period of time, you know, you want to highlight probably the last five to seven years comprehensively, and then the rest you can just title out. If there are jobs that you've had beyond that tenure that are still relevant, you can go there, but I definitely wouldn't go beyond 15 years on the resume or on LinkedIn from a comprehensive why standpoint. You can still list it, but you don't have to go into depth of what you're doing. And I'll give you an example. My first job, I was a paper boy, and I don't put that on my LinkedIn profile because it's not relevant. It was a long time ago, even though I do find myself sometimes telling some great stories from that experience. It made it sound like that you coach to have more than one job listed, no matter how long that takes you to to do that. Why is showing more than one job a plus? I think it's showing different problems and challenges you've solved. A lot of employers and recruiters, they really value candidates that take on new challenges and learn and push themselves. So even if you've worked at the same company, if you've shown different projects or different groups or different departments you've worked with, it shows that you're not just doing the same job with the same skills for the past 10 years. And I can tell you from all of the candidates I've worked with, even if you've worked in the same organization for 20 years, we can pull out a lot of different experiences and projects and skills that you've used to really make that 20 years tell a more complete story than just, I was at this company and here was my title for 20 years. Mike, let's talk about the interview. How can I better prepare for the interview, whether it's in person or online? I love this question because the interview is such a great opportunity to tell your story. And I think a lot of candidates, when we go into the interview, we think about how can we win this job? How can we sell and how can we win this interview by giving them the best answer? And what are the questions you're going to ask so I can prepare and give the perfect answer? And I'll tell you right now, in my opinion, the perfect answer is your answer, your story that you can apply to it. So the best way you can prepare for it is think about the things you're proud of in your career and the stories of how that came to be and why you're proud of it and what you did. You know, I think a lot of candidates, when we go into interviews, we focus on what? We focus on what we did, the skills we had, where we went to school, and you're making the case for why you're the perfect candidate. And I like to flip that with candidates that I coach and talk about, like, why do you want this job? Like, why do you want this job? And really shift the power to trying to be the perfect candidate 
to evaluating them for if this is the right move for you and they're going to give you the opportunity to grow professionally that you're seeking. So it's a mind shift change. It's an opportunity to tell your story about who you are and why you've done what you've done and what you're looking at doing next and what you're looking for in your next employer. Mike, what are some great candidate questions that they will ask to the hiring manager? My favorite one, and some people would call it a bold strategy, but I like it, is ask the interviewer, what is it about me as a candidate that got you interested? Because what happens, Bob, is is a lot of the times the hiring manager will ask the candidate, why do you want this job? What is it about this job that gets you excited? And what they're looking for is somebody that is actually done their homework and research and wants to work at this organization. So I coach candidates on the other side, ask them, why are you sitting in this seat? What is it about me as a candidate that gets you interested enough to have this conversation? And what that does is it opens the door for you to expand on what it is that they were curious about, because now they're leading you on what they at least were excited about with your resume and why you're sitting in that seat. And then you can have a really in-depth conversation and build off that. Mike, is it okay to bring notes to the interview? Absolutely. I think the interview is a simulation of what it's going to be like to work for the individual. And I can tell you right now, every meeting I go into, I have notes and I think it's a positive thing. It shows someone was prepared and they took the time to come to the meeting with some things that they wanted to address and preparation is a huge asset for any job. So I'd say, yes, absolutely bring notes. And after you've interviewed, how long is reasonable to wait until you hear something back from the hiring manager of the company? And kind of a follow-up question to that is, is, is there anything I can do to speed that process up? Bob, I think the way you answered that is exactly how I advise candidates to ask that in the interview is, you ask the hiring manager that is, when should I expect to hear back from you? And they will tell you how long. We're going to hear in, in 24, 48 hours. And then you ask, is there anything that I haven't answered that would be a question mark for you? Um, you want to know what doubts do they have? Where are they at? When are they going to let you know? Get that information. I heard a quote the other day that, you know, in terms of sales, good salespeople, they drive the process. They're not driven by the process. They're leading and driving the process. As a candidate, you have to think of you are selling yourself. You are the salesperson for you in that moment, and you want to be in control of the process. So take control of it and have confidence to ask, when should I follow up with you about next steps? Rather than when can I hear from you, when can I follow up with you to hear about And you're now driving the process. And I have yet to meet a client who's a hiring manager that would not like to hear someone take that initiative in the process. That's a very, very positive sign. Mike, is there any way that I can get feedback from the hiring manager on how I did during the interview, even if I get rejected for the position? Yeah, and it's it's a great question, Bob. And it's one that's tough because candidates, they should, they want to get feedback on how the interview went and how they did and how they positioned themselves. And a lot of the times you get very generic feedback, if any. And usually the most popular one that, that they give out is it just wasn't a, a great fit. Uh, and that leaves candidates with not a lot of information on what went right, what went wrong. So what I like to do is I always like to give candidates feedback on how I interpreted them as an individual, what I thought of them. And really the feedback I like to give is, is this 
the individual that you were authentically presenting today, because this is how I see you. And that is how you run a successful interview as a candidate is who you are is how you're showing up. Because it's not about winning the job. It's not about winning the interview to get the job. If you're not being yourself, if you're being the best interview version of yourself, just to get the job only to get into that job and realize this is not the environment for me. This is not the people I want to work with or you want to be authentic to who you are. I'm using finger quotes here. If that's not the right fit for them, that's a great thing because you want to find the best fit for you given who you are because that's what's going to lead to an extremely successful and happy career. And are there questions or websites or information literature that I should be looking at to help me know whether I'm a good fit for that company? Yeah, there's a few great resources and the internet is a, a great scary place sometimes, but a great place for, for information is Glassdoor is a good one. You know, you go on there and you find out information with the company that employees have posted. Now I do caution people to say these reviews are either extremes. It could be very, very positive or very, very negative and shouldn't shape your perception of the organization holistically. It shouldn't be ignored, but it shouldn't be associated wholly with what you think about the organization, but it's good information for you to know going in. And if there are some bad ones, bring it up in the interview. I always encourage people to say, you know, hey, you know, I read this on Glassdoor. Can you comment on this scenario or what this means? And put them on the spot because it's in good information for them. And it also tells you a lot about the company in terms of how they react to these negative reviews. So Glassdoor is a good one. LinkedIn is also a good one where you, you can engage with what companies are posting about, what they're commenting on, things that way. So social media platforms are good and Glassdoor. I would say the combination of those two things are, are really good to kind of do your research. And Mike, what if sometime during the recruiting process with the company, you decide the role or the company is just not right for you? How do you handle that? Honesty is the best policy. If you realize that you've gone three or four interviews in and there's something that it doesn't feel like the right opportunity, I would first work with you to explore why it doesn't feel right. And if it's something you feel strongly about, it's messaging. No employer would be mad if you communicated effectively as to, hey, after consideration, these are the concerns I have moving forward. And so I want to withdraw my application for this rule. It's just all about effectively communicating and being honest and authentic like that. I can't stress that enough. It is super, super important. Mike, what are some of the do's and don'ts of social media use in your job search? I would say the first one is be authentic to who you are. Also, I'm going to say understand that it is a professional social media site. So I would probably hold back from any extreme comments or viewpoints or things that way. It is an office, if you will, but you've got to also show up and be yourself and be authentic. It's okay to express emotion and be that individual you are. No, it's once it's out there, it's out there. There's no, there's no taking back. So be conscious of how you show up and make sure it is closely, perfectly, I will say perfectly reflecting who you are as an individual. Mike, you've said to me before that the job search process can be exciting and fun. Mike, really? Bob, yes. Why not? I think the recruiting and the hiring process, think about how much time you spend in a week at your job. 
what you're doing is you're going through the process to see how you want to spend that time and who you want to spend that time with. I think if you shift your mindset from one of, I want to be selected and I'm putting myself out there and if people don't like me, then this is going to hurt and it's very vulnerable to one of curious optimism is you can do nowadays, you can interview and you can work, if you can work remotely, you can work for a bunch of different employers. So expanding where and how you can work is exciting. And also as a candidate right now, I'm here to tell you the power dynamic is shifting and candidates have more control in the hiring process than they ever have before. Organizations are doing more and more to try to attract you, top talent. So understanding that, be picky, be selective, don't settle for a job, find the one that gets you excited about who you're gonna be spending time with. And along that lines, what do you coach your clients in terms of that self-talk? I always say during the day, I'm brave, I'm a warrior. It's at the dark of the night that that self-talk, those gremlins start whispering in my ear that I'm too old, too slow, don't have the skills. What's the self-talk that you coach your clients? The first thing I always say to them is, your story is the ultimate differentiator because nobody has your story. And if you tell it authentically and genuinely, you have no competition because nobody is like you. You are unique. You have superpowers. We just need to uncover those and then tell them in, in a compelling way. But you are unique. Nobody is like you. We all are. Everybody's looking for, you know, I'll say it, and, and Bob, you and I have chatted about this. I know I don't like the term, but the rock star unicorn that everybody's looking for. But I'll tell you right now, everybody is a rock star unicorn because there is nobody like you. And I want people to know that and have confidence that their experience and their story is valuable because of that fact that nobody has that. So the negative self-talk is going to happen. It's inevitable. Everybody goes through it knowing that it's going to pop up and then just drown it out with the uniqueness of your story and the confidence of, you know what? Nobody is like me and nobody sees the world through my lens because they haven't lived my life. So there is a uniqueness to me that I bring that nobody else can bring. Mike, you've said to me before that the hiring process is broken. What do you mean by that? I think quite simply, the hiring decision to be made, whether it's the hiring manager or the candidate, is very emotional. We always talk about it feels right or it doesn't feel right. They're the perfect fit or they're not a fit. These are emotions. And the hiring process is broken because how we get there is very logical. If you look at a job description, it's almost reads like a tech spec with in terms of here's what we need from you. And it's very logical. Here's your job title that you would have. Here's the salary you would get. And here's your roles and responsibilities. And here's what we need from you. And on the flip side, the resume, very logical. Here's who I am. Here's what I've done. Emotion plays a huge factor in the recruiting process. And it is nowhere to be found. One of the easiest ways to think about this is when was the last time you read a job description that told you anything about who your boss was going to be? And the reason why I use that as an example is because it is well known that people don't leave companies as much as they run from bad bosses. So if that's true. The inverse of that is also true where we gravitate or we want to work for great bosses, not companies. So 
If those are true, why aren't they on the job description? Why is there no mention of who your boss is going to be on the job description? And I guarantee if there was a bio or information about who that individual was, it's the ultimate vetting technique. Either candidates are going to be drawn to work with that individual or not. And either way, that's okay. So that's just an example of how the hiring process is broken. Mike, we've talked before uh, about this. What does the candidate should not make assumptions mean during that recruiting process? Yeah, it's a great one. And it kind of goes back to the the point you're talking about with those negative voices. I think when you're looking for a job, it's a very vulnerable experience in terms of putting yourself out there and facing rejection. And those that are not used to that, if they don't have a sales background or acting or anything else that requires you to be vulnerable and you know, face rejection regularly, it's a scary thing. And you can quickly jump to you not getting a job equating to self-worth. And, you know, if they don't pick you, it means you're not good enough. And what I like to say is don't jump to those assumptions. If, if somebody doesn't get back to you or they reject you for a job, that is not a reflection of your self-worth at all. It means it wasn't the right opportunity at the right time for you. The perfect fit is the right candidate with the right skills at the right time. There is no better candidates and worse candidates in general. It's the right candidate with the right skills at the right time. If you get rejected for a role, it just was not the right time for you. Doesn't mean that you're not worthy. It's not the right time. And I advise candidates to think about that. Mike, does setting and following a schedule to work on your job search, does that make sense? Absolutely. I think we're all creatures of habit and we like structure. And I think it could be a very overwhelming, daunting process if we kind of think about it in terms of, I need to find a job today. When you think about the job process, it's a series of steps and a series of mini steps to land that job. You don't just wake up, turn on your computer and get a job by lunchtime. That's not how it works. You have to, first of all, think about what it is you want to do next. Why do you want to do these things? What is it about the next job that excites you. A lot of self-exploration before you even decide who and where you want to apply. So it's important that you think about all of these things, break it out into actionable steps and dedicate some time to that process. Once you figure out what you want to do next, now it's a matter of, okay, now I want to research some companies and some individuals on LinkedIn that I'd like to start networking with. If I'm looking for a sales job, Let's start looking for some directors of sales on LinkedIn to see who's out there to who I want to start networking and interacting with. And then from there, it's okay. Now they have these jobs available. Let's start applying for these jobs and telling a story. So it's a series of steps that requires you to dedicate time to each part of the process. Mike, let's say that I just lost my job this week and you're my coach. What's the one, two, three things that you will tell me that I should do starting next Monday? First thing I would do is I would update my LinkedIn and I would put an end date on the the job you're at to show that you're no longer there and make sure you put your status to open to work. And then I would spend some time on writing a great story in LinkedIn, talking about the things we spoke about earlier, the why, fill in the whys on your LinkedIn, really invest a lot of time. That would be the first thing I would do. The second thing I would do is I would think about the job that I just had, what I liked about it, what I liked about my boss that I had, what I didn't like about my boss that I had, really understanding the important things that are going to shape the next job that I'm going after, which is namely 
what I'm going to be doing and who I'm going to be working with. So thinking about jobs you've had previously with great bosses, what was it about them that made them really great? And great jobs you did, what was it about those jobs that you enjoyed doing the most? And then making sure once we have those things, now it's taking ownership and accountability of the job search. It's your responsibility to go out and get your job. Your responsibility solely. Don't think about applying to jobs or working with a recruiter and they will reach out to me when they find jobs. It is your responsibility and you are 100% accountable for your next job. And once you embrace that, there's a power in that because you can control and drive that process. And, and Bob, that's when the fun starts. That's when I said earlier it could be fun. Once you see that, then the opportunities start opening up for you. Mike, someone once told me that for people in transition that they need to really focus in on self-care, eating right, sleeping well, exercise, drinking less. Why is that all important for someone that's looking for a job? I think it's a very stressful time when you are looking for a job. And usually when we think about physical stress, we equate that easier to the self-care moments. If I'm going to up the fitness regimen or I'm going to go for a run, then it's important that I get enough sleep and I eat properly and I hydrate and all that, that because we're putting stress on the body. But when we're dealing with emotional or mental stress or strain, that requires the same self-care, making sure we're hydrated, making sure we're eating properly, make sure we're getting enough sleep. Because ultimately, when we're gearing up to find a job or when we're in stressful moments, it's extra important that we're super nice to ourselves because our body is going through stress. The body doesn't know the difference between physical and emotional stress. We as society understand when it's physical, we should be doing these things, but we ignore the emotional and mental components as well. It's stress. Stress is stress and requires us to prepare and make sure we're nice to our bodies when we're going through stressful times. Mike, any books or other resources you'd recommend to someone who's going through their own transition? Yeah, there's a, a book by Lynn Smith about uncovering your superpower and how to tell it. And it's a fantastic read. She talks about speaking in sound bites so your communication style can be concise and clear. I can't recommend that enough. She's a phenomenal resource for really understanding your own unique story and being able and having the confidence to tell that. Mike, if our listeners only remember three things as they go through their own transition, what are those three things that you want them to take away? I would say the first is take a minute. Don't rush. If you've just gone through something where you've left one job and you're going to another, take a second. Take stock of who you are, what you learned, what you want to do. Go through that work on yourself first before you start jumping on to what you want to do next. You really need to take time and assess yourself in that situation. The second thing I would say is have some fun with it. Understand that you're going to have options. And what you want to do is you want to create those options and those opportunities for yourself by being authentic and genuine to who you are. And the third thing I would say is you are unique. You are a unicorn. Your story makes you so unique that you have no competition. So really, really have confidence that you are like nobody else. 
Mike Thompson, you are a unicorn for sure. And I know that all of our listeners will add their appreciation to the great tips and techniques that you shared with them. And I'm so thankful that I've had a chance to get to know you better. Thanks, Mike. Thanks so much for having me, Bob. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We're working in unprecedented times as the world responds to the recent COVID-19 crisis. The fact is that even those who are not in transition understand it could be right around the corner next month or a year from now. The purpose of these episodes are to give listeners support and the critical tools to adjust with the winds wherever they come. I'll continue to introduce you to guests who have successfully, perhaps gracefully, or without too many battle scars, survived their own obstacle courses and can share useful information on how to steady your ship or your world in this uncertainty. If today's message was helpful to you, please share it on social media. If you have any questions or podcast ideas for future conversations, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I appreciate your time. You're investing in sharing these important conversations with me, my guests, and others who are going through life transition. Transitions between jobs, life stages, new entrepreneurial ventures, or whatever life brings. Change is constant. The more prepared you are for it, the better and easier the change will occur. Thank you again. This is your host, Bob Gerst. See you at our next episode of People in Transition.